and welcome to another episode of Filmic Feelings. Yeah! There he is. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of the show, everybody. Today, we're going to be doing a bit of an August wrap-up. Um, we saw quite a few movies this month. Cooper went and saw three movies at the cinema, and I went and saw five. And that was some of them were repeat viewings. I mean, I've seen The Meg 2 twice. Wouldn't that mean that you've then seen more than five? Well, but I've seen five individual movies. I don't count and then rewatches. Some rewatches, yes. Yes. So we are going to be talking about five films that we have seen over the course of the month. And let's begin. What do we want to begin with, Cooper? I'll let why you pick. Why don't we start from the first? Why don't we go in order? Okay, you want to go in chronological order? Let's do it then. So let's start with The Meg. Alrighty, let's start with The Meg. So we, The Meg 2 um, is set, I think, about 10 years after the first. It's meant to be. Uh, I think it's just under 10, something like 8 or something. Yeah, so it's been a number of years since since the first Meg happenings. Um. And I thought this movie was fun enough. I mean, I think that I enjoyed parts of it more than the first. I think the first is, I don't know, I think I like the first a bit more. The thing that you've got to realise with The Meg is it's going to be a stupid, unrealistic film. You've got to... But I don't think think that's where my issue lies. I think that it's... I don't think that's where... my issue lies either. I think that it's a bit all over the place because I think that you've got the first half of the movie is very dark. Yeah, it goes, well, see, it goes really comedic and really like action comedy early on. And then it dips into this real weird, like, I almost used a really big word then, I won't, um, but it becomes this really like mustache twirling dark like people who are evil for like you know the reason that people in 80s movies are evil like it's well yes we're plant we're plundering the earth for money yes yes we're all evil we all want money and it's kind of like you're doing some really stupid things just to get money um and i just feel in general like the Meg suffers from a villain problem because your villain is, is the Meg. Is the Meg, but they always try and usher in this human villain. In the last one, it was kind of Rain Wilson's character, who was the billionaire who was funding the operation. Who, you know, it was because of his desire to make money that that things really went from bad to worse. I'm detecting a theme here with money and. Yeah, it's a real um it's a real bit of anti-capitalist um I don't want to say propaganda, kind of is, especially given that China who bankrolls a lot of these movies is a communist nation, but we won't get into the politics of it. Um but we have a lot of returning cast. I mean, you've got uh Jason Statham is back. You've got Cliff Curtis is back. Which one's that? Uh You've got Mac. the Oh, yeah, I was about to say Mac. He was actually, fun fact, I don't know whether you know this, he was at the Fast 10 premiere in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, because he was in Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Oh, was he? I knew you wouldn't know that. Yes, he was. He was um, Hobbs's brother. Like Hobbs's elder brother. Look, ready, I'll show you a picture. There he is, right there. Oh, he's the brother. I didn't even realise. There you go. Look at me go. Anyway. Um, so you've got Jason Statham's back. Cliff Curtis is back. Paige Kennedy, who's DJ, he's returned. 
What's the name of the girl? Uh, Shuya Sophia Kai is the daughter who returns. And then uh, Li Bingbing, who played, I forget what her name is in the first one, but she's the love interest of uh, Jason Statham's character. Well, she's not in this one. No, well, she is a massive star in China, um, decided not to return for this film, and so they killed her off. And she is replaced in the cast by her um, her character's brother, uh, played by Wu Jing, who's another very popular Chinese actor. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Something about this movie, I just... I think that's always going to be the case with any Meg film. I mean, it has got, um, and and I said this to Cooper, and I don't know if I told you about when I rewatched this movie, I genuinely had to put my jacket up over my head because it makes me so uncomfortable, uh, the death scene. Ah, yes, that scene. Mm. So there's a death scene uh, in the film, and even just talking about it is making me a little unwell. But it's. Do you want me to say it? No, because at least when I say it, I don't know. I, I'll say it. So there's... there. This is part of the dark scene in the trend. Quite literally it's dark because there's not much light. And but quite literally it's dark because there's a lot of death. Yeah, three people die in the space of like ten minutes. From the team. Yeah, from the good people that we care about. Oh, yeah, because another two guys who we don't care about die. Oh, yeah. more than that. Because there's all the people down there working for the people trying to make money. And it's two there's, guys. There's thousands of people, let's just say No, that. there's not. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating. I don't you know. You are. There's two guys. Okay. So anyway, um, one guy gets eaten by an octopus. Another girl gets eaten by one of the Megs. And the third girl who's down there with them, who's not part of the main cast, she gets bitten on her, like, headgear. Her headgear gets chomped into by these, like, Dimitrodons. They're, like, little swimming-legged sharks. Dragon dinosaur things. Not dragons at all because that implies that they're big. They're not. They're tiny. And they also, for some reason, have been living down in, in the trench for millions of years and have not, like... They've somehow still got their legs, which is not the case. They would have evolved to not have legs anymore, but whatever. So this one character, Curtis, her um, glass helmet is cracking slowly as they get into this airlock and as the water is draining out of it and they're pressurizing the environment, um, her suit integrity, basically, it, her suit breaks and her helmet basically caves in instantaneously from the pressure and it's basically just like a pop. Basically, is, her head explodes. Yeah, and it is so viscerally unpleasant that I almost threw up when I watched it the first time and when I watched it the second time. I'm glad you time, didn't. I had to cover my eyes and go la, la, la with my fingers in my ears because I couldn't even bear to hear yeah. it. And, you know, the funny thing is the second time you watched it, you were in that new cinema with three screens, so you really had to cover your eyes. Oh, but that didn't really affect it that much. How what, was that cinema, by the way? Uh, interesting. What Cooper's referring to is there's a new cinematic experience here on the Gold Coast called Screen X, basically a 270 degree viewing experience where you kind of have these projector screens that run down the side of the cinema that you are meant to look straight ahead and you're meant to catch things in your peripheral vision. It's interesting. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting idea. My issue with it is that, like, I think it's an interesting concept. The problem is, is that the color balancing in the cinema, I feel, is wrong. And I know why. It's because they don't want you to focus on the side screens, but the colours between the main screen and the side screens are so different that it's kind of jarring when you kind of have those different colour washes into your peripheral vision because it's not like in our peripherals we notice 
like, you know, I'm looking at our screen right now and Cooper is in my peripheral vision. He's not a different color. Like I, I don't see him in a duller, dimmer color than anything between the screen and him, you know, like, I don't know. It, it was a strange disparity and I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but it was an interesting experience. You know, yeah. it's an interesting viewing experience. I mean, that film would be great in 4D or 3D, whatever it is. Mm, it'd be interesting. I, you know, lots I am, of water. There may lots be a, of water. Maybe a shark jumps out at you. Maybe. But yeah, I think that the Meg 2, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily any better or worse than the first one. Because, I mean, they're both very schlocky 80s style um creature features we call them you know where it's it's man against creature but i think it's just that i i felt that the first one had a bit more of a consistent tone whereas this one you know you've got the first half is very dark and the second half is is a lot campier and i think that's a lot of the discussion i've been hearing around online is that that's divisive in a way because people then either only prefer the first half or only prefer the second half, depending on what expectation they had going in. And so, I mean, I guess it's a way to make people feel at least, you know, that they enjoyed at least part of the movie. But I don't know. I just, it's it's a bit weird to me. But, you know, matter of personal preference. Yeah, I thought the film was good. Uh-huh. You know, certainly some things to improve on. Definitely, mm-hmm. I think. I wasn't the biggest fan of the trench scene. Maybe that's because it was dark and gloomy. Yeah. But, you know, the the scene on the island. The Meg is really, that Meg 2 is really the only film in a long time that I've gone to see in cinemas where I've actually been scared and have to, like, cover my eyes because that doesn't really happen many times anymore. Well, but that's also because you don't go to a lot of those kind of movies. Yeah, well, even I when I mean, I'll talk about a few later in this where in you this did segment that. where, you know, I had that experience. But, like, even, like, we'll come back to it later with The Equalizer. Mm. I didn't go... I, I know, but... I was completely fine. But... Different type. Different of type of movie. You know, The Equalizer is human-on-human violence, whereas this is... Creature. creature. Which creature is inherently more scary? It's like you know, human human on human violence versus demon on human violence. You know, yes, human violence is scary in the way that this could happen to you, but there's this this fear of the unknown that I think comes into play when you have these demonic things or these these monstrous things that that is a different kind of dynamic. Lovely. So are we done with the Meg and should we move on? I think so. I I don't really have much else to say about it other than that. Yeah. And so let's move on to the next film, which is one I can talk quite heavily on. I was going to say, you go for it. So the next film is the Gran Turismo film, which currently is my top film. Of? Of ever. Right, your greatest film of all time. For the moment. That'll probably change in the next month or so, but, you know. That'll change in the next month or so? You think it's going to change that quickly? Well, you always used to say that every single film I go to, it's then my favourite. Well, uh, that was the case for a long time, and then I think, I don't remember which movie. My taste changed. I don't remember what movie it was I took you to, but you came out and you were like, oh, it was whatever. I went, (gasps) oh. I channeled an inner you. Was it was it Black Adam? Did you see that movie? Yeah, you would have. But no, I was already past that stage by then. Mm, I don't remember what movie it was. I'd have to have to go back and look at look at my records. Go back which I through don't your keep. memory. <laughs> go through my memory palace. But um, this film was right up my street. I think any car person, this is your film. Definitely, because it's also, I don't know whether you can agree with me on this, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Would you agree? I think so. I did find myself getting very invested in in some of the uh, emotional plot lines of it. You know, I really like the 
the the student mentor relationship that the main character played by Archie. What's his name? I literally watched him in a trailer for something else yesterday. Um, you could just type up Gran, Gran Turismo. Turismo. I know cast. I'm doing that now. Archie Matakewe. Ooh. Yes. Matakwe. Sorry, Archie. Not 100% sure how to pronounce your name there. But yes. Sorry, Archie. If you want to be a guest, then we will gladly feel have, free. We'll gladly have you on so that you can correct us on how to pronounce your name. But I really enjoyed his relationship with David, David Harbour. Harbour. And I really enjoyed his relationship with... Orlando? No, with Dimon Honsu, with his father. Yeah, that's the emotional roller coaster because his dad really almost doesn't believe in him at the start. Yeah. And doesn't want him doing it and then he comes around. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, th- those are the ones I enjoyed. I did wish that they had brought his mother into the narrative a bit more. I mean, I understand because I think it was really heavily about his father and and the relationship that he has with his father, but I think it would have been good to bring the relationship with the mother into a bit more focus, you know, in, in a few sections of the film. And I think that the way that you could have done that is by, and I'm very sorry to the actress, I'm not at all saying she did a bad job. I think she did a great job with the material, but I think you cut the love interest entirely. Um, but here's in Maeve Courtier-Lily, who, again, I don't think she did a bad job. I just think that, that's not what this movie is about. But you've got to remember, <laughs> this is a real life story. Yeah, but I don't think she's a real person. Are you sure about that? I don't think so. Because I looked, I looked after we watched the movie and I can't find any reference to her in Jan Martinborough's story. Because this is loosely based on a real story, on a real racer named Jan Martinborough. Um... But, yeah, I don't think that she is I, – I don't think the character of Audrey is is in his story. Like, there, I think there were women and I think there probably was a girlfriend at the time who, who – That's what of, I was about to say. Was there a girlfriend but was it not Audrey? Yeah, but I just feel like – that that relationship and and here's the reason why this is my thought that relationship doesn't really reveal anything about Jan to us as an audience his relationship with David Harbour's character reveals an awful lot his relationship with Jimon Honsu reveals an awful lot i think that you do one of two things you either have it be Jerry Halliwell, so his mother, who is involved a bit more and we learn a bit more through her, or you make his partner somehow involved in the race team or somehow involved in the racing element of it so that it becomes this kind of thing of he has to choose what's important, the racing or this girl. Because he can just kind of, with this girl, she's just kind of there. Like, I don't know. I just, I, to me, what it felt like was that it was just another, you know, Hollywood wanting a romantic subplot for a lead character. And it didn't feel earned. And there's a massive sequence when they're in Tokyo together that goes on for like 20 minutes. Okay, I wouldn't say it's that long, but it feels that long and it, it really does slows feel like that it really slows the film down. It's more like probably 5 minutes that scene. It's way more than 5 minutes. It's at least 10. I'd say it feels like that, but it's probably more like 5. No, I'm 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 telling you, it is more than 5 minutes. It's at least 10 minutes that scene and it's like, we just don't learn anything about Jan in that period of time. I think I'd feel differently if in the experience of him walking around, 
the only kind of little bit that we get is I think he buys the present for his mentor while he's out. Does he? I don't remember. Yes, I think so. That's the only real part of the scene where I go, that's necessary. But like he didn't necessarily need to have her there. That's my thing. I just don't think, I I think it's more so that I feel it's a disservice to the actress that the character just kind of is there. Sure. That's my feeling. I don't know if you feel differently. Feel free to Well, I also didn't think that that scene went on as much as you do. And I do think that, you know, it's not a bad thing having that relationship there. Because you never know, there could have been a relationship at some point. Sure, but I just feel that where it comes in the narrative is right after he succeeded in the academy and he's in Tokyo to sign this agreement to become a racer. Sign the deal. Yeah, and so it's like just over – like it's about halfway through the movie and it just slows the middle part of the movie down. And so I was kind of like – and luckily – I think you're right. I think it didn't go go on as long as I thought, but it just it really took me out of the movie for a second. Is really how I felt. Is I felt I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is just dragging on. I don't even know where we're going with this. What's going to happen from here?" And then cuz then she's in this scene in Japan. Then she disappears and doesn't come back until the final race. No, she does come back. Oh, she's on a Zoom call with him once. Yeah. I just, I just, I don't know. It it just didn't feel super impactful to me. But because, I mean, the, the plot line with his dad, I mean, I nearly cried in that there's a scene yeah, with his dad towards feeling. the end. That's what I mean by emotional roller coaster. Exactly. Where you know, him and his dad are crying together and and I was moved very emotionally by that and by, you know, there's a crash in the film. Yeah, the Nürburgring crash. Which is like you just get this sense of dread of like, oh my god, and then and and you know that he's gonna be okay, but then they're like, oh, uh, you know, a, a, a spectator. Spectator, that's the word. A spectator died in that crash. And it just hits you like a wall of just. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like that. That's what I'm saying is I was, I was quite invested in the kind of underdog story at the start of the film. And I really liked the kind of how they carried that on at the end of the film and, and this kind of bringing himself back up from, you know, the brink of giving up, I thought was really powerful. I just felt that they lost me a bit in the middle. Yeah. And one of the, one thing that actually got to me was going back to the Nürburgring crash, where he crashed, I know that exact bit on the Nürburgring and I had watched a video going through there like literally an hour before we saw the movie. Right. And so it's like, wow, that's that that's a serious crash. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I think there was actually a good cast list for this film. I think Archie did a good job. I think Archie did a great job. I, I think, think David Harbour did a fantastic job. Orlando, Orlando was really good. Jamon, um, what's his name? Jamon Honsu. Jamon Honsu. I think it was a really good cast. Yeah. And I think the film was definitely a great success. Yeah, I think that the the film was the film was really good. I mean, I remember hearing about this film when was it? End of last year. I remember mm. hearing first about this film cuz I don't know if I've mentioned it yet, but one of the YouTubers I follow is in it. Yes, and where is your YouTuber? Is In your the YouTuber first here? row. That's that's there. Your, yeah, there. Amelia Hartford, who plays Leah Vega from the US. Which, by the way, if you're listening, Amelia, 
we'd love to have you on here. <laughs> I'm going to say that with everybody. We will. We'll say that with everybody. Um, but, yeah, I, do you have anything else to say about Gran Turismo Cooper? Uh, not really. I mean, it was a great film. We should probably move on to the two that you talk that, about. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll talk about these two and I'll try and keep it quite brief. But the two films that I've seen that Cooper has not, so I'm going to talk about the more international one first because I kind of just want to quickly talk about it, uh, which is The Last Voyage of the Demeter um, or Demeter. It depends on what what region you're in. depends on how you pronounce it. I pronounce it Demeter, um, but all the Americans seem to say Demeter. So The Last Voyage of the Demeter is an interesting film because it is based on a very short section of a book. It's based on, I think, not even a full chapter, but a part of a chapter from the book Dracula by Bram Bram Stoker, um, which is, of course, you know, a very preeminent gothic text about vampires. Dracula. Dracula. (laughs) I am the lord of Transylvania. I am Dracula. He doesn't sound like that in the film because the Dracula you see in this film is very animalistic. It's very much, it's very similar in the way of the Meg where it's, you're not dealing necessarily with a, a human fighting other humans. You're dealing with a monster. It's a monster um, movie where basically um, Dracula has been loaded onto this ship to be shipped off to England and, uh, you know, a, a body has been sent with him, this this young girl whose name I can't recall, actress or last voyage. We're just going to keep looking up the cast list for this we show. Are, uh, Ainsley Francois, who plays Anna, um, so she's been... Um, basically entombed in this box to be food for Dracula over the oh course of their journey. God. Yeah. A real life human is food. Yeah. So uh then you've got Corey Hawkins who uh I mean most notably for me, he was in In the Heights. He was in a film called Six Underground, which Cooper's familiar with. Uh, when we say familiar. Haven't you watched it multiple times? Uh, no, I haven't even watched it once fully because we went to watch it and about halfway through, you and I both hated it and never finished it. That's very true. I thought you said, oh, you tried to watch it again and still couldn't get through it. I I went through the second half and hated it again. Right. So anyway, so so Corey's in this film. He plays a doctor called Clemens, a learned man, who uh, gets permission from uh, both Captain Elliot, played by Liam Cunningham of Game of Thrones fame, and Wolchek, uh, played by David Desmalkian, who you would recognise from literally everything because he's been in literally everything. Ant-Man. Ant-Man, Wait, was it yes. Ant-Man? Is that the Marvel one? I'm forgetting. Yes, he's been in all three Ant-Man movies. He was also in The Dark Knight. Was he? He was also in The Suicide Squad. I wouldn't have watched that. He was also, there's at least another 15 things that he's been in. He was in Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was in Prisoners, which you won't have watched, but I have. The Lost Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, he's in June. Oh. Blade Runner 2049. You know what I didn't know? Who was in Dune? Who? Jason Momoa. Yeah. I didn't know that. You watched the movie, didn't you? Yes, but I didn't realise it was Jason Momoa. I mean, he was literally playing Jason Momoa. Was he? Yeah. I also haven't watched that film since it was in cinemas. Well, I guess we'll have to watch it again before the new one comes out early next year. Anyway. So uh, Liam Cunningham is the captain of the Demeter 
and uh, he has got his young grandson, Toby, played by Woody Norman. Fantastic young actor. I think he's going to do great things. He's very good in this film. Um, they also have on the ship Stefan Kapik as Olgarin, who Stefan is most known for playing Colossus in Deadpool, in the Deadpool films. And then you've got Nikolai Nikolaev, who plays Petrovsky, who, Cooper, I wonder if you recognise this this young man. I do. Was he in the first John Wick? Uh, I believe he might be, but that's not what I thought you would recognise him from. Um, now I'm confused. Is he in that movie? I don't think he is. No, he's not. He's an Australian actor. He was born in Melbourne. But I think what you should remember him from, Cooper, is something that's for some reason not even on his... Well, then what is it, my friend? Oh, what was he in that? He was one of the Russians in the first season of Daredevil. Once again, haven't watched that for a very long time. Anyway, so basically... Oh, now I remember him. There you go. So all of these... Um, sailors are trapped on this boat with Dracula who after Anna is released from uh, the box that she's being kept in uh, and is being looked after by the doctor, Dracula starts hunting other members of the crew to satiate his thirst for blood. Uh. And so he starts systematically killing members of the crew, turning some of them into vampiric thralls, all sorts of things. Also, who's he? The constable? Yes, the constable. The constable? He's just a constable. Ah. He's He's a constable in, I want to say Brighton, but I don't think it's Brighton. Does he just play a constable? Yeah. Is that all he's ever done in his career? Well, that's all that he's credited for on this film. Okay. So anyway. But basically, the film begins with them finding the wreckage of the Demeter and the log of the captain who has written extensively about what's been happening throughout the course of the um, of their journey from Romania or Bulgaria, I think, actually, is where they is the port that they leave from. They leave from Bulgaria and they're travelling to London. And uh, basically the whole time they're being hunted by Dracula, who's played by Javier Botet. Um, I really enjoyed this film. I think it's really good. I think that um, it's a very interesting concept for a movie of taking this one chapter, this one kind of corner of the, the lore of Dracula and kind of uh, showing the the human side of it um, and, you know, showing all of these people who who all have wants and, and desires and what happens when a Dracula is trying to eat them. Um, so I think it's very good. So I highly recommend that you see it if you have not already. I hope I haven't spoiled too much. Well, um, we're going to have a spoiler alert on the start of this episode. Yes. I but think we still, should also have I, a I, warning for the Meg bit earlier. What do you mean a warning for the Meg bit earlier? Where we talk about head explosion. Oh, it's fine. Uh, oh, all the kids listening to this <laughs> podcast, I'm so sorry. Apologies, but, you know, deal with it. So anyway, the next film to talk about is an Australian film. Before we get on to that. Uh-huh. Do you think I should go see this film? This one? Yeah. I think so. When talking about the Demeter, you'd reckon so? You reckon I'd like Dracula? I think so. I reckon you'd find it interesting. We might we might go and see that at some point in the in the near future so that you can have an opinion on it. The one you're definitely not going to want to see is uh, this Australian film that I went to see called Talk To Me. I've seen the trailer for it. I absolutely love it. It is, I've got to say, it's a fantastic film. It is terrifying. 
Um, right up my I'll, street. And I'll explain why in a minute. But first I want to, you know, congratulate the, the Australian team who worked on it. So uh, Danny and Michael Filippo, and I think I've gotten their name wrong, but they are YouTubers. They are the Rucka Rucka Boys and they uh, created this film based off a concept by Daley Pearson, who is one of the founders at Ludo Studios, who do Bluey. So from one of the creators of Bluey and a screenplay by Bill Hinsman comes a terrifying movie that shook me to my very core. Now, Cooper, you have a question. You just dropped the bomb that they're YouTubers. Like, what? Yeah. Let's, let's is go. this only in Australia, this film? No, it's gone international. Really? Yeah. From a couple of YouTubers? So, yeah, they're, they're Rucka Rucka and they have 6.79 million subscribers of and 157 videos. Oh, they have posted. They have been posting recently, but not much. But look, they've been in a Mr. Beast video and basically their whole thing is they do these stylized violent videos where um, they do these kind of fights and stunts and stuff. And you really see that in this film. There's a lot of um, disturbing imagery. There's a lot of terrifying visuals. And I'm not going to spoil too much of it because I desperately want as many people to see this film as possible because... Um, I have worked with a number of people who've worked on this film um, and I know, you know, through through others, I know even more. But this film uh, features Sophie Wilde, who you may know earlier from earlier this year from The Portable Door. It has Miranda Otto, who has been in Sabrina the Teenage Witch and recently on Disney Plus The Clearing. Uh, you have relative newcomers who... I'm I'm not going to go through their work, but they've they've done some some good things from an earlier look that I did. But you've got Zoe Tarakes, Otis Danji, Joe Bird, Alexandra Jensen, uh, and Ari McCarthy. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to Chris Alosio, who uh, I worked with on the first season of Troppo, who has been doing some amazing stuff. What was he in Troppo, or was he just cast? Yeah, he was cast on Tropo. Look, don't you recognize him? No. Let me go Chris Alosio, Tropo. I must go back and watch Tropo. Where are you, Chris? Now I've just got the Tropo theme tune in my head. So he played, oh, what's what's the character's name? Uh, I don't know. One of the kids. One of, oh, wait, was he the boyfriend? JJ. He was JJ in Troppo. Wait, was he the boyfriend of the girl? No, he was the other friend. He was the one who beat Thomas Jane up. Oh. Yeah. I really so need to go back and watch the show. Chris is a real stand-up bloke and he's um, fantastic in this movie. Fantastic in North Shore, which was out recently. He's been doing some great work recently. Send and love, Chris. Really love that you're taking off. Because um, he really is a great bloke. And also, uh, in terms of producing, uh, one of my uh, colleagues on a previous job, Christopher Cito, is uh, a co-producer on this film. And again, he's he's phenomenal. I have a lot of love for Chris. And uh, yeah, I've, I've reached out to Chris Cito um, since the release of this film and congratulated him. Um, has he gotten back to you? He has. He has. We had a conversation about it. Did you ask him if he wants to be on the podcast? He's very busy on a project in Sydney, Cooper, and we have not got our internet, like interstate setup going. What I do want to say about this film, I'm not going to say too much. I want you to go and watch it. If you're squeamish, maybe don't. But also, I highly recommend it. Go to support. Australian cinema, especially with everything going on in the world at the moment, supporting Australian cinema means supporting people, um, yeah, working here locally because, um, you know, there's been a lot in the news this week um, 
that has really disappointed a lot of us who work in production here. What? Uh, well, so you remember Nautilus? No. This is a bit of a, a sidebar, everyone. But Nautilus, which shot here in Queensland for a year. It was at the studios for a year. It was a Disney show. I remember you telling me about this. Yes. Yeah, so it has just been shelved by Disney. They are at this stage not releasing it. Now that may change in the near future. What about the one you worked on? Have Don't know. Of, have you heard anything on that? Are we even allowed to mention what you worked on? Uh, technically, yes, but we won't. But yes, I did do a Disney Plus show around the same time that Nautilus was happening. Uh, I was working down in Sydney on a Disney Plus show. And so, you know, it is it is concerning that this show is disappeared, but... Yes. If if you want to know what it was... Look up my IMDb. Um, you have an IMDb? Yeah. Oh, my God. Look. Of course you do. Why am I not Well, surprised? everyone in the industry has an IMDb, Cooper. There I am. There's not even a photo of you. Well, no. I don't need a photo of me because I'm not doing a huge amount of acting work at the moment. Look, there it is. There's... There's a show I did. So if you look up my IMDb, you'll be able to find it. Um, so, oh, that's cool. What? Is that one you worked on? Yeah, this is a movie I worked on um, where I was a background extra and I didn't realise they had a cool new poster. Anyway. Um, it's not cool. It's creepy. It's cool. So anyway, the one thing I will say about Talk To Me, um, I don't want to talk too much about it, but the one thing I will say is that I really like how it subverts the kind of one of the primary conceits of the horror genre. So let me just read the the synopsis for you. Um, I don't, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but the synopsis of the movie is when a group of friends discover, discover how to conjure spirits with an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill and high-stakes party game until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. So basically what it is is there's this embalmed hand and you hold it and you do this little mini ritual and it basically uh, possesses you, a demon possesses you. And while the demon possesses you, they basically describe it as kind of like this high so it's basically a, a form of, of drug. It's a form of, you know, um, getting high is allowing a demon to enter your body. And for me, one of the primary conceits of the horror genre that I didn't really th even think about until I watched this film was that often in horror movies, you are being haunted not necessarily because of an action you did or something that you consciously did. It's some transgression that you maybe weren't even aware you were doing or it was something that was completely independent of your autonomy. With this film, what I really love and what really resonated with me was that everything that you watch happen is because of conscious choices made by characters. Even when you know, people are being taken over by these demons and they don't have control over all that they're doing. That has happened because they have allowed demons into themselves. And I just, I find it really fascinating and I think it's a really interesting way to tell this story. It's beautifully shot. It's magnificently acted. It's very well directed. I just, I have a lot of love for this film. It unnerved me and terrified me pretty much the whole time. Um, but in a way that I couldn't look away, I just had to like like dig my fingers into my shirt and just like twist and like, I was just very uncomfortable. But in a way that at the end of it, I was just so um, moved, not in an emotional way, but in a, in a philosophical way. And I... I took a lot of thoughts away from the film and and some emotions as well. But, Cooper, that brings us to our final film of our August wrap-up, a film that we technically could have had on the September wrap-up, but because we missed out 
in Australia on some films in August that uh, other parts of the world got. We wanted to include this one as part of our September, uh, as part of our August wrap up, because we got it a little earlier than you guys. Ha ha! And that film is The Equalizer Three. Whoa! Um, Cooper, we're we're big fans of of action. We're big fans of the Equalizer franchise. I mean, I've watched every single one of them in the cinemas since the first one came out in 2014. I want to say yes. You loved this one so much. I love this series. Yeah. This was actually on TV last a uh, couple nights ago. I know. So The Equalizer 1 came out in 2014, The Equalizer 2 four years later in 2018, and then I think this one, the number three, would have come out four years later if not for the delays caused by COVID. COVID. Um, but Cooper, he's gone to Italy. Yes. So big fan of Italy over here. Big fan of Italy. Did you like the portrayal of Italy, Cooper? Yes, as a calm town with the mafia. The mafia. The mafia. They're like a cancer and no cure. Yes, legal to be in the mafia in Italy, basically. Yeah, well, I think that this film definitely had an interesting beginning. I kind of thought when the film begins, it begins with with some action, with some heavy tension and a little bit of action. And I really thought they were setting us up for it to be, for the movie to then flash back to something that led us to this moment. But no, it, it goes sequentially and it's interesting how how it evolves and how we get a bit more insight into the psychology of, of the main character, Robert McCall still without learning a lot about him. Like, but we just get this sense of he is extremely dedicated to justice for people in circumstances where justice is almost impossible to find. Remind me, was he, was Robert part of the like military or something? He was a government assassin. He was part of a government hit squad and he faked his death um, prior to the start of the first movie and then was living an ordinary life but kind of realised through the events of the first movie that he had a skill set that made him, you know, where, where he had a greater degree of power over those who would seek to cause pain and harm and so he decided to do something about it and <clears throat> and i just really enjoy these films i think denzel is great i think the second one was a bit listless i don't know it the second one i think to me is the weakest i think to me and that had pedro pascal in it so you i know you should have loved that film. And I love Pedro Pascal, but I I don't know. It felt like there were a bit too much. There was a bit too much going on. There was kind of the plot line with with that. There was the plot line with um, Susan, his friend, and and what happened to her. And of course, there was a crossover. But then there was also this side plot about a young man, you know, being involved in in gang activity and and. Robert doing something about it, but it was very separate. The wife, the wife came up in it. His, his wife. A little died. bit, yeah. But I just felt that this film benefited from there being a bit more concentration, and everything kind of flowed a bit more directly one thing into the other, and I think that that was to this film's benefit. And I, th- I personally will always have a spot, soft spot for the first one. But this one, I think, was was more what I was looking for when The Equalizer 2 came out. And so I think that, to me, it goes Equalizer 1, 3, and 2. Oh, I'd go 3, 1, 2. Well, there you go. That's your opinion. You're but... An, you're an Italy fanboy. Thank you. I have a question for you, though. Okay. Do you think there will ever be, like, a spin-off? To it, like a spin-off in the Equalizer franchise. Well, there kind of is. We're not talking about the TV series. Well, do you know about the TV series? Well, it's not based on it, isn't it? 
Well, so there's a TV series that it's based off, which is the original Equalizer, which was a TV series in the 80s. And that's Robert McCall in that series. But there's also a new TV series which came about because of this movie series which stars Queen Latifah as Robin McCall. So she's a gender-swapped version of Denzel's character. Is it like an animated thing? No. It's oh. live action. There she is. And she um, basically does the same thing that Denzel does just on a TV budget. And I think it's still ongoing. I don't think they've cancelled it yet. But do you think there'll ever be anything else, like, not involving Robert? Like, maybe we see something almost like... Almost like we're about to see with the... What's it called again? Uh, I don't know. John Wick spinoff. Oh, the Continental. The Continental. I don't think so. You don't think we'll see something where we might also see a young Robert? I don't think so because I don't think that there's a desire for it. I think that it's, you know, we've seen... We've seen the story of this character and, you know, there's been... Yeah, I don't think that there's kind of an, a, a desire for it in the way that there is for, for John Wick stuff. So, no, I think that... I mean, you never know. Never say never. But I do think that this is kind of the closing of a chapter for these films and this kind of... Uh, corner of this story as it were Mm. so those are the five films that we have seen you don't have many more to say about it i mean the action's great i mean obviously it's an (laughs) equalizer but that's to be expected um i've seen a lot of people disappointed that um because denzel and dakota fanning who played (laughs) CIA agent, whose name I can't remember. Oh, that's Dakota Fanning, is it? That's Dakota Fanning. She and Denzel worked together, oh, how many years ago was Man on Fire? Long time now. Man on Fire. 2004, so nearly 20 years ago, they worked together on on this film. Is that why she's a part of this one? Possibly. Um, It's almost, it could almost be like. But look, there she is. Yeah. Is it almost like kind of like, you know, with Daniel Craig and Ana de Armas where they were in, what was the film called? Uh, Knives Out. Knives Out. And, and then, then he, she came and was part of James the other Bond. One, James Bond. Yeah, I mean, I think there there might be a little bit of that, but I think people were really hoping for them to have a lot more screen time together. But I don't think that that was ever kind of promised or really on the table. Um, but I I enjoyed her character. I enjoyed. Um, yeah, it's quite a it's quite a small cast. I mean, there's a lot of a, a lot of actors, but it's quite a small kind of central cast. And. I thought it was quite good. Yeah, the guy it. who plays Enzo Ferrari from Ford, Ford versus Ferrari, Ferrari is in it and he's also called Enzo in this. He's got a real niche going at the moment. But, yeah, I, th- I think that's all I have to say about The Equalizer. Yes, and so shall we talk about the most anticipated coming up in uh, September? Yeah, we'll just quickly flag some things we're looking forward to watching in September. Um, so two films that... Uh, most other territories around the world have gotten that we have not gotten he- yet here in Australia are TMNT and Blue Beetle. Oh, it's already out, is it? In some other countries? Yeah. They've been out for like a month in the US and like Europe and all that kind of, all those places. What's TN, whatever it is? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, oh, Out of the Shadows. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think that's what, no. Out of the Shadows is the old one. What's this one called? It's just... Teenage Mutant... Mutant Mayhem. That's what it's called. Um, That's it. Mutant Mayhem. 
So Jackie Chan's in it. Jackie Chan's in it. Seth Rogen's in it. John, John Cena's Cena. in it. Uh, Ao Edibiri's in it. Post Malone's Post in Malone. it. Post Malone. Ice Cube. Paul Rudd. Oh my John Carlo Esposito. Maya Rudolph. Rose Byrne. Wow. A lot of big, lot of big peeps in this one. So high budget film. Yeah, and it looks it looks really good. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, that one comes out. Uh, I think when you're hearing this episode, it comes out today. Yes, and Blue Beetles next week. And shall we touch on quickly the one I'm most anticipating? Yes, you talk about the one you're most anticipating. Then I'll quickly list a few others. A Haunting in Venice. Yes, A Haunting in Venice, the latest from the uh, Kenneth Branagh Poirot-averse. So Kenneth Branagh is doing his third film based on the Hercule Poirot series. And how many more are going to come? Well, I mean, there's... fuck. I mean, there's a ton of books in that series. There's a lot. Um, So I don't know when when he's going to call it quits with that one, but... He's already done Murder on the Orient Express, which is the most well-known one. He's done Death on the Nile. He's done Haunting in Venice. Let's see what else they've got to adapt from the Poirot-iverse. Poirot. It's even got Michelle Yeoh in it. It does. I'm very excited for Michelle Yeoh. Book list. So, you've got... The Mysterious Affair at Styles, The Murder on the Links, Poirot Investigates, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, The Big Four, The Mystery of the Blue Train, Black Coffee, Peril at End House, Lord Edgware Dies, He's Done Murder on the Orient Express, You've Got Three Act Tragedy, Death in the Clouds, The ABC Murders, which is quite a popular one, Murder in Mesopotamia, Cards on the Table, Dumb Witness, He's Done Death on the Nile, Murder in the Muse, Appointment with Death, Hercule Poirot's Christmas, Sad Cypress, One Two Buckle My Shoe, Evil Under the Sun, Five Little Pigs, The Hollow, The Labors of Hercules, Taken at the Flood, Miss McGinty's Dead, After the Funeral, Hickory Dickory Dock, Dead Man's Folly, Cat Among the Pigeons, The Adventure of the Christmas Pudding, The Clocks, Third Girl, Halloween Party, aka Haunting in Venice, so that's the one that's about to come out, Elephants Can Remember, Poirot's Early Cases, and Curtain, which... Um, not all of those are full books, I don't think. I think some of them are short stories. So I don't think require... they'll do all 40 of them. So Hey, 39. I'm Get sorry right. about the one mysterious. Maybe they'll make a 40th. You never know. You never know. Anyway, so it'll be interesting to see what Kenneth decides to do next with that series. You've got uh, so Haunting in Venice... One that technically came out here in Australia uh, at the end of last month, but I haven't got a chance to see it yet. It's called Past Lives. I've heard nothing but amazing things about this film. I'm very excited to see it. Hopefully sometime this week we will see. Uh, There is also The Creator, which is the latest from Rogue One director Garth Edwards. Now, if I got that right, because there's Garth Edwards and there's Gareth Evans, and I always get them mixed up. Garth Edwards. Yes, I've gotten that right. So he's got a film coming out called The Creator, which has got uh, John David Washington, Gemma Chan, Ken Watanabe, Benedict Wong. Uh, I think it's going to be great. It looks really interesting. Benedict Wong. Yeah. I don't know if he's actually in it because they don't always get these right. In terms of sometimes they just put extra people on these lists. But I guess we'll see when we see the film. Um, Then the only other one is just a quick one from me. I'm looking forward to Theatre Camp. It looks like a fun little comedy movie. Um, You've missed one. No, I haven't. The Creator. That's what I literally just talked about. What? That's this one. Oh. The creator from Gareth. I'm getting confused. Gareth Edwards. Sorry, not Garth Evans. Gareth Edwards. So uh, those are six upcoming movies that we're quite excited about. But in the meantime, 
we will see you for our next main episode and then we'll have another filmic feelings. Yeehaw! And we'll have more yeehaws for you every step of the way. Yeehaw! Which one was the real one? I don't know, but maybe you can find out, audience. Until then, we shall see you next time, lovely listeners. Goodbye. Bye.